morning. Welcome to the service. We've come through a week of cold and blizzard, political tension and division, and yet in spite of it all, we know that God is good. Let's worship together. This morning is found in Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his people. For those who fear him lack nothing. 
The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Forgive us of our sin. In your name we ask. Amen. Three. 
Our scripture reading is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denier and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven Little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's bow in a word of prayer to dismiss little ones to children's church. Your God, we thank you so much for each and every one of the children in our congregation. God, we pray that as they go now to Children's Church, it'll be a time filled with learning new things about you. We pray also for the teacher, give them the words to say that they will take with them all their lives. We pray also a blessing on our service today. Please speak and be with us today. Bring these things before you, amen. All right. If you have your bulletins on you, I'd ask that you take them out. There's a couple things on there that we uh, want to uh, look over. Uh, the first off is uh, this coming Tuesday, there is a congregational meeting. If you are in the area and you attend our church, I'd encourage you to come on out. Uh, you have to be a member in order to vote, but at the same time, uh, everyone is welcome to attend to let their voices be heard. Uh, if you uh, want to have an agenda, then uh, I think Jeff is over here. He can get that for you. Otherwise, check your email inbox or uh, the front table there for uh, the agenda. Uh, next, prayer meeting at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. I'd encourage you all to come on out. 7.30 p.m. also at the church this week is youth. 
worship service next week at 1045. March 4th to 6th, we are looking for people to help out at the Valley View Bible Camp Tubing Hill. I would encourage you to sign up for that. It was a great time when I did it, and so uh, I'd encourage you uh, each to do that. Next, this will be the last week that this one is on here, uh, but there is a mental health first aid course that's being run uh, through a government organization. If you're interested in signing up for that, I would encourage you to come talk to me this week. Next, if you are interested in a small group, contact Dakota Gunther. If you don't know who she is or don't know how to get into contact with her, then get in touch with me and I will point you in the right direction and that should be good for announcements. Now, on to prayer items. Michelle Bartel is in the hospital still. Uh, I wish I could give you better news than that, but we definitely want to pray for her and, and the family. Oh, <laughs> I'm on there too. Uh, upcoming test results on the 17th is when I'm going to find out how my stress test went. I, I don't want to speculate about it before then. 17th. Also, the birth is coming up very soon on the 28th. And so there's a couple things that still need to fall into place. Uh, I ask for prayer for us that those things will fall into place. Uh, Students and staff, we're beginning a new semester this coming week. And I don't think that any of the exams have gotten pushed back into this next week. I don't think so. All right. New semester starts this coming week. Uh, pray for our church as we go through this sermon series on refocusing on Christ. Uh, also, Janae and Henry uh, and little baby Remington want to say thank you so very much for all of the baby shower gifts and also meals and just the general outpouring of love. And finally, I hear whispers that Travis and Rosie are almost all the way here already as I wave to them because they're both sitting right back there. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We love you. We're happy that you're here with us this morning. And so we're definitely going to want to pray for them as they are going around on this leave to the different churches and also spending time with us. And so with all of those things said, let's go now into a time of prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning with a number of things on our hearts. First off, we want to come before you with the things that we are thankful for. For me personally, Lord, I'm thankful that there is a little one on the way in our family. And so, God, we pray that this last bit goes well. We pray that the things that need to fall into place fall into place. We pray for comfort for Shannon as the ninth month is always a discomforting time. And God, we put it in your hands. And we also want to pray, God, for our student and our staff. Lord, we thank you that the exams are done. And God, we want to pray that as they go into a new semester, that it will find them well. We want to pray for the grade 12s, that this is the last semester that they will be seeing before graduation. God, we pray that it is a good one. We pray that it is one that they keep in their hearts. And God, we want to pray thank you for Janae and Henry and little baby Remington. They are such a wonderful part of our family here at the church. God, we pray a continued blessing upon them. Lord, we pray that as they learn what it is to be new parents, then parents, then seasoned parents and on, that you will be with them every step of the way. Be a blessing that they need. And God, we also want to say thank you so much 
for Travis and Rosie and the whole family who make the trip out from Paraguay. God, we thank you so much for all of the work that they do in Paraguay. It blows our minds every time we get those updates to see you at work in that way through them. And so, God, we pray, bless their time now as they are here with us. We pray, help it to be a restful time. We pray, help it to be a fruitful time. Lord, we pray, most of all, help it to be a time where in their lives you are seen as clear as day. Lord, this we pray. Now, God, we want to put before you the things that concern us. And God, we also want to pray again for Michelle Bartel as she is in hospital. Lord, we pray be the strength that she needs. Lord, we continue to pray bring healing to her. Lord, we continue to pray just make yourself known to her and the family and be the strength they need. It has been such a terribly hard time not just in this recent, but going back for years as well. We pray be with the Bartell family. Lord, this we pray. And God, we also want to pray for our schools as well, heading into the final semester. Make it a good one. All of these things we bring before you today, and we place them at your feet. In your name we pray, amen. And now we continue on in our series on refocusing on Christ. And if you have your Bibles on you, Luke 7, 36 to 50. And there we read, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Pretty standard practice. And a woman in the town who lived a sinful life, you're Translation may say something different. Mine says a sinful life. Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. A lot going on there. We begin this passage with a little bit of a surprise. Jesus is an invited guest of the Pharisees for dinner. Jesus at this point has ran into the Pharisees before, most memorably when they were absolutely shocked at just how uncouth Jesus and his disciples were acting at that party that Levi threw that we looked at two weeks ago. So to go from butting heads like that to a dinner now, that's, a, that's an odd transition but something that is sometimes just how things go, all the branches and all of that. We have talked about the Pharisees before, but as a reminder, they're not a bad bunch of people. They believed that the key to following God as best as you could was to, to follow the law of Moses as best you could. And in order to do that, they came up with rules for how to do that. And they came up with rules on rules for how to do that. They were a very legalistic group, uh, very concerned with their own righteousness, uh, which is part of why they butt heads with Jesus a lot, because Jesus, I hope this has come across as we've gone through his life up to this point, Jesus is very much so not like that, legalistic, he's really not like that at all. 
And that's a bit of an irony, I guess, given that how oriented with rules of our own lives often become when we focus on our faith, but a topic for a different time. But nevertheless, together, Jesus and the Pharisees, they, they gathered for dinner, and then something truly bizarre happens that takes uh, the surprise we're already feeling and just kind of ratchets it up to 11. For suddenly, a woman from the town enters, and she lives a sinful life, we're told, and that's that's a wonderful bit of euphemistic translation right there because she's a prostitute, something that is known because she's holding an alabaster jar filled with perfumed ointment. We have a lot of sources from that era that we know that these alabaster jars, that was essentially a tool for the trade for prostitutes during that time, like a hammer would be for a carpenter. The perfume from the alabaster jar would be used on whoever the client is. I'm not going to go into how you all have imaginations, but keep that in mind for what comes next in the passage. Because next, there they are, Jesus and a bunch of rather stuffy religious types all sitting around a table, and suddenly into their midst comes this strange woman something that is already kind of a surprise all on its own when strangers come in off the street uninvited. But then she pulls out that jar, and you can imagine that everyone is taken aback as it dawns on them who she is, what she is. Everyone in that room would have been scandalized. That is, but Jesus, who doesn't do a thing, And that is when the woman uses the contents of that jar to do something it wouldn't typically be used for because with it she anoints the feet of our Lord, we read. And as she does so, she begins to weep, overcome with emotion of what she is doing. And her tears, they mix with the perfume and they fall into her hair as she works. Then our passage goes on. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, (laughs) he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Which Jesus answers, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replies, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven? You judge correctly, Jesus says. Simon is the name that we're given for the Pharisee who invited Jesus. A good Jewish name, fitting for a Pharisee. Notice the way that Simon is talking about the woman here. He sounds distant when he talks about her, doesn't he? It's almost like he doesn't even see that she's there, apart from just how scandalously Jesus is acting. His words are all insulting and filled with third-person pronouns, all she, not you. He is talking about her in front of her. This man were a prophet. He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Those are the words he says. 
She came into his house uninvited. She did something that would have been seen as deeply inappropriate with one of his guests, and he doesn't even seem to regard her. It's like he's talking about a pet, an animal, not a person. Which Jesus responds with the parable of the moneylender, a parable that's very straightforward as far as Jesus' parables go. Two people owe someone money, one a small amount, one a large amount. The lender forgives both. Who loves the lender more after that? Now, Simon answers, I suspect he does so with a bit of hesitancy in his voice, just waiting for the other shoe to drop, because this, this is far too obvious. And it comes right after Simon questioned the integrity of our Lord in front of other people, I remind you, the other people that are at that party. Surely he must be thinking that there's some kind of a comeback coming. Jesus is quite good at comebacks, after all. We've seen that in a couple of the passages we've gone through so far. But he answers all the same. The person who owes the big debt, to which Jesus responds, let's say kind of in kind to how Simon has treated him and the woman with the alabaster jar so far. For when we read, Jesus turns toward the woman. Then he turns toward the woman, looking upon her, actually seeing her, while to Simon he speaks. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, in the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I think when we read what Jesus says here, the tone doesn't really come across well. First pass, it might seem like Jesus is just teaching Simon one of his life lessons, but there's something that I want us to remember when we read this. This was a time when to be a good host was a really big deal. If you invited someone over to your house, then it was expected that you would care for them. You looked after them. They were your responsibility, and it was a matter of pride. More than that, it was a matter of honor, even, that you fulfilled that duty that you had to them being their host, them being your guest. This is something we can see throughout the Bible. In the New Testament, remember John 2. If you wondered why in the story of Jesus turning water into wine, the hosts are absolutely freaking out because they don't have enough booze for the guests, that is why. Throughout the Psalms and the books of the law, you can think Leviticus 19. There are plenty of places where the reader is told, be a good host. To follow God means be a good host. Be hospitable. Passages Simon the Pharisee would have known. Passages he would have had to have known well. Now read what Jesus says here again. First he turns to this uninvited, disgraced woman, humbling herself in front of everyone, cleaning Jesus' feet. 
The prostitute that the owner of the house himself is not even willing to acknowledge like a human being. And what, and what does Jesus do? First he looks at her, he sees her, he acknowledges her, and then while looking at her, Jesus goes on to list all of the ways that this woman who has not even been seen as a human by the Pharisee that owns the house is a better host than him. Did you greet me with a kiss? Because she did. Did you wash my feet? Because she did. Did you anoint me with oil? Because she did. So who in the world are you, Simon the Pharisee, to look down on her? Pharisees are all about following the law, right? This, this woman you aren't even willing to acknowledge is far better at that than you are. Does a better job of showing her love for God than you are. Which the passage concludes with Simon, I assume, feeling a little hot-headed, as typically happens when you've just been had a torn strip off of you in front of your peers in your own house, while the person that you weren't even willing to acknowledge before is lifted up as a result. But for all the scandal that that would have caused, and that would have caused a lot of scandal, that would have been something they were talking about in those circles for all ages to come. It's nothing next to the scandal of what Jesus says next. Sins are forgiven, is what Jesus says. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that he can even forgive sins? And Jesus said to the, the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Who is this who even forgives sins? A question is asked of Jesus. I'm pretty sure given the audience being asked in a scandalous kind of way, only God can forgive sins. Does he think that he is God? That's what the Pharisees believed. Who is this that can forgive sins? Jesus Christ, that's who. Jesus Christ, for whom following him is following the law. As the woman with the alabaster jar found out. Jesus Christ, for whom following him is following God. For he is God. Jesus Christ, who sees this lowly prostitute for what she actually is. Genuinely wonderful person. A human being. There are two things that I want us to take from this passage today. Really, there's a lot, but for time, just two. First is a short one, and to see it, I want us to look at the woman with the alabaster jar for just a moment. There's something important in what she does that is easy to overlook, but I think is important for us to take to heart today. I don't think I'd be wrong in saying that often in our minds, we tend to find ourselves unconsciously cordoning off different parts of our lives, different spheres, let's call them. 
There is the sphere filled with our time in church and our faith, and we keep that over here. And then there's the sphere that's filled with our work and whatever else there might be. It's over here, separate. They might overlap like a Venn diagram, but they're separate. I want you to look again at what the woman with the alabaster jar does. As I mentioned, that jar is a tool of her trade, as scandalous as it might be. She is using that tool in a way that is worshiping our Lord. She is using a part of her life that she only has because of what she does to worship Jesus. And she is commended by the Son of God himself for doing that. Just because she's a prostitute is no reason for her not to worship God in the ways that she knows how. There's really nothing that we can come across that can stop us from worshiping God in the ways that we know how. It's a lesson I think that we can all do with taking to heart. Just because you are a mechanic or a teacher or a farmer, an admin or in construction or nursing or editing or retired or what have you, there's no reason for you not to worship God by utilizing what you know how to do by using the tools of your trade to worship our Lord, as it were. So here's the thing, there is no multiple spheres in our life. There is no faith on one side and work on the other. There is just us. And there is Christ ahead. That's where we're trying to get to. How can you say that you're following him with all that you are if in your mind there is this whole big section of your life that you don't think of as something that can be used to serve our Lord in the first place? That's the first thing I want us to see in this passage today. And here's the second. Look at Simon. Before him is a scene that he is very uncomfortable with, a scene that I think we would all be deeply uncomfortable with if we encountered it ourselves. How does he act? By being a really bad host. He is insulting to his guest. He doesn't even recognize the humanity of this poor woman under his roof. And to this, what does Jesus do? He tears a strip off him. He puts him in his place right there in front of his friends, and he defends her doing it. Brothers and sisters, I call on you to notice something about the world we live in today? Has it not gotten to the point where it is way too easy to disregard the humanity of those people that we do not think of as like us? How do we think of those who are legitimately without means? How do we think of those who are like this woman and with the alabaster jar in lives most most certainly forced on them? yet we find uncouth. We, we treat them as distant, don't we? We reduce them to nothing more than that. We keep them at arm's length as problems to be ignored. Taking that a step further, I ask you also, how do you even think about those that you disagree with these days? Vaxxed or unvaxxed, left-leaning or right, pro-life or pro-choice, any other dichotomy like that. 
has become way too easy to take those that we disagree with, to diminish them to just those stances that we say are wrong and to write them off and keep them at a distance. What is that if not dehumanizing someone, if not failing to even acknowledge the person? Reducing a whole person down to a few opinions that we disagree with. Reducing a whole person down to their occupation. Reducing a whole person down to their status in the world. Reducing a whole person down to the simple fact that they are not like us in some way that we think is important. It's a dangerous thing to do to someone. You can ignore someone that you don't see as human, as complex as we are. You can objectify someone that you don't see as human, as complex as we are. Not even just that you can objectify them, that's exactly what you are doing. You can make their lives a living hell or worse if you dehumanize them, if you don't see them as a person like you are. But Christ sees them. He really sees that woman with the alabaster jar. And so no, we are called to be like Christ in that. To be better hosts than Simon was. Lest Jesus tears a strip off us too and we would deserve it. We are called to acknowledge those around us and care for their needs. You really can't do that unless they're people in your eyes. Failing to see people, even if those people are legitimately the worst, and I'm not trying to take that away from it, some, failing to see them as people, there is no place for that with us. We are to show the world, to borrow a phrase here from Dr. Seuss, I said it the other day, all people are people no matter how small. By doing that, that you really show the breadth of your love for the one who forgave your debts in the first place. And so we come to our assignments for today. And we have two of them. First, if we, like the woman with the alabaster jar, are to truly focus our lives on Christ, then I think that we have to learn how to follow our Lord with all that we are, professional lives and skill sets included. That end here is what I want you to do, and it's going to sound a bit hokey, but stay with me. This week, I want you to write a resume. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to get you to quit your job, but if you really want to, no reason this assignment can't pull double duty. But I want you to write a resume that has all your training, your work, and your volunteer experience and has a very particular eye to the set of skills and the things that you know how to do. And after you've done that, I want you to take that resume and read it over again. And in prayer, add the things that you missed to it. Then look at it. And in prayer, reflect on it and show it to someone else even. And that's when you ask, how can you use those skills unique to you to serve our God? 
That might seem over the top. That might seem unnecessary, but I find personally that until you have something like that down in writing, what happens is that you think about that question, how can I serve God in my life, and you answer it rather unimaginatively. You often think of your professional life as kind of a monolith, as walled off to your faith, because it's not like on Sunday mornings we have a block dedicated to accountants talking shop up here in front of everybody. But you volunteer for things that don't really suit you because, hey, you want to do something. And then it gets progressively more boring as time goes by. But take the time and lay out what you're actually good at, what your skills are, and it becomes a lot easier to know what you bring to the table, what tools you even have to worship our Lord with. And once you know that, it becomes a lot easier to find a place that you are truly giving your all for God. But that's assignment one. Have fun with it. And here's the second. And heads up, if you do this, you will become a pariah. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it all the same. We have a real problem just now in our country, in our province, and even our town with seeing those apart from us, those whose lives make us uncomfortable, even those that we just disagree with, with seeing those people as human beings like we are. That is something we as followers of Christ need to be the ones to work on, need to be the ones to demonstrate to the world around us that that is very unhealthy and there is a better way. How do you do that? Well. To begin, as you encounter it, I think we need to be like Christ here, willing to tear a strip off of the people that don't even acknowledge the woman with the alabaster jar. We need to be willing when we encounter someone dehumanizing someone else, even if that person is not like us or someone we know or is not ourselves, to be like, no, I'm not going to be putting up with that. We need to keep an eye out for those who everyone looks down on and writes off. And we need to be the ones to loudly say, no more of that. It doesn't mean that you need to agree with the person that you're standing up for or all the things that are drawing the hate upon them. I mean, you don't come away from our passage today figuring that Jesus is all sorts of pro-prostitute just because he stood up for one. It doesn't even mean that we should stop calling out evil and destructive thoughts and behaviors as we encounter them. Jesus certainly continues on doing that as well, but instead just people are people, no matter how small. It should be acknowledged as such. Nothing changes that in the eyes of Christ, so nothing can change that in our eyes either. We are people who know Christ's love. This is a part of how we show it. So if you see someone else hurting someone, disregarding someone, in general treating them as less than a person that God created them to be, stand up for them. You will come across this an awful lot if you look for it. Just now I dare say the world needs more people willing to do that. The more people willing to do that, 
the less polarizing everything becomes. Today we saw in the story of the woman with the alabaster jar a fraction of what it can mean to truly see someone. Say we take those teachings of our Lord to heart as we continue to focus on him. Amen. Just like the woman with the alabaster jar, we are all in need of God's grace. And I praise God that he is willing to forgive us. benediction today comes from the book of Numbers. May God bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he show his face to you and bring you peace. Go now and serve our God. <laughs>